So this fellow goes into the doctor and says, I'm really worried about my dreams. Some nights I dream I'm a pup tent. Some nights I dream I'm a teepee. <laughs> doctor says, you're easy di to diagnose. You're too tense. What? What? That's a good joke. That's a good joke. Maybe you're too tense. Good morning, everybody. We're grateful that you're here. And wherever you are, if you're tuning in on the World Wide Web, uh, we're thankful that you're joining us and wish everybody a, a happy Labor Day. We've been talking a lot about community lately, and the reason we've been talking about community is the ever-challenging uh, issue of a growing church is how do we connect? How do we know each other? How do we distribute care? It's not enough to just grow in numbers. We want to grow in Christ. Uh, we don't want to just grow larger. We want to grow deeper. God has taught us and blessed us with the ability to attract a crowd. I mean, for crying out loud, we've filled... The AT&T Center a time or two. It's one thing to attract a crowd, but it's something else entirely to build an audience or to build a church. Over the years, we've tried to strengthen our connections uh, through small groups, through adult Bible fellowships, through men's ministry, through ladies' ministry. We found some wonderful ways. And of late, we're talking about taking this even a step further, taking ministry right into our, our neighborhoods. This seems to be the best play for our day because we live in a day in which people are increasingly fragmented and secular, in which going to a church is not automatically on anyone's calendar because of schedule or because of lack of conviction. And so it makes sense then that we take the church to the people and increasingly do so as we extend our ministry into our neighborhoods through area communities. Apparently, you think that's a good idea, too. I've brought the cards up, just some of the cards of the people who have responded to our invitations over the last few weeks, saying, could you help us take the work of the church into the community? And we've been simply stunned by the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of, of request, responses of people saying, you can count on me. We have about uh, 800 people saying, I'll head up the Compassion Initiative in my neighborhood. 800 people. We don't even have 800 neighborhoods. I mean, we've got 390 people saying, I'll be in charge of my neighborhood. Others people saying that I want to really connect with my family and enroll me in the, in the, in the, in the, in the orange Bible study for my family. Just things like that. And so way to go. Way to go. I'm, I'm really grateful that, that you could get on board. And I also want to say a word uh, to, to those of you who, who cannot get on board uh, right now. Uh, we understand that. We understand. We understand that life can get busy. We understand that some of you are up to your eyeballs in, in diapers or in, or in business or in another ministry. And the last thing you need is a new idea to come along and, and to get on board with that. That's okay. That's okay. If this isn't the time for you to get involved in that, that's okay. It's going to be around for a long, long time. And if and when God calls you to get on board with that, it'll still be here. You just keep doing what you're doing. You keep loving the people in your business. Uh, keep loving the people in your school. Uh, keep focused on your family. Wherever you need to be right now, you just be there. You know, the Bible talks to us about 
Apostle Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? That doesn't mean work for your salvation. Jesus did that. But we work out our salvation. That is to say, we work out the details of it. Uh, we work out the, the where we serve and how we serve. And the purpose of a church is just to create opportunities and to facilitate organization and strategy. But one size does not fit all in Christian service. And so you find where you serve and just serve your heart out. As you're praying for this, please remember to pray for our elders. They've really taken on the, the lion's share of the load here saying that we're going to... Uh, Pastor, provide pastoral care to these area communities of 150 people apiece. That's a big job because these elders already have things like careers that they're doing. And so it's not like they have available time. And so we want to pray the Lord continues to, to give them strength as we're developing this over the next few years. In fact, could we have a prayer for our elders? I'd like to ask our elders and their wives to stand. And if there's one near you, extend a hand in there, even if there's not one near you, but extend a hand toward one. Do we have any in this service? We have a few up here, a few back here. They're probably out loving on people. Here's some back here. So let's extend a hand in their direction. Dear Father... May your mercy be upon these, your servants. They carry such a load. We pray that you'd please grant them courage and strength and faith. We love these men and women. And you have instructed us to serve in such a way that their job is a joy and not a burden. May we do just that. We lift them up to you, knowing that they carry your heart. You, the great shepherd, have inspired them to be under shepherds. And we pray for them in the name of Christ. And all the church said. I ran into Jerry and Randa Holland not long ago. Uh, one of our pastoral couples. And I, I said, Jerry, what would you do today? He said, well, I spent all day on the phone calling these people. I said, how many calls did you make? He said, I've called 80 people today. I said, well, God bless you. That's an eternal work. That's a work that's going to be remembered in heaven. Did you know it's possible to do something today that will be remembered for eternity? A lot of the things we do on earth won't be remembered in eternity. But there are some things we do that will outlive our lives. Jesus talks about this in the 25th chapter of Matthew. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25. If you didn't bring a Bible, elbow somebody who has one and say, Can I look on with you? Matthew chapter 25, we're going to begin in verse 31, and also as you're getting things out, in your monthly handout, there is an insert that is given to us by our friends at World Vision. I'll be referring to this in just a minute, if you could have that handy. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. This is the last opportunity that Jesus has to talk to his followers. This is his final sermon. Within hours, he will be crucified. Within days, he will be raised from the dead. So this is the to topic he selects as his go-away message. He wants to talk to them about the judgment day. The great day, Scripture calls it. The great day. And he says, on this day, all the nations will be gathered before him. Every person who has ever lived, every human being will be caught up on the great day when Christ returns, will be caught up into the sky, and will have that encounter with God. Every single person. From sunken ships, they will come. From grassy battlefields, they will come. From royal tombs, they will come. From paupers' graveyards, they will come. Every human being who has ever lived, whether their body is destroyed in a fire or lost in a vapor, that body will be recomposed and they will ascend into heaven. The souls of the paradise dwellers will descend from heaven and they'll be reunited with their bodies and will be caught up in that great convention, that great gathering of souls. From Abel, the first human being to die, to the person who dies at the very moment that the trumpet is being sounded, every person who has ever lived will be there. You will be there. And so will you. And so will you. So will you. Next time you walk through a grocery store or through a shopping mall or sit in a football stadium, you just stop and think for a second. Every one of these people will someday be there. The U.S. Bureau of Census estimates that since the beginning of time, 106 billion people have been born on the earth. All 106 billion people will be there. So will the angels, Jesus says. The Bible tries to give us an idea as to how many angels there are, but always falls short. The book of Revelation talks about 10,000 times 10,000 times thousands and thousands of angels. You'll more quickly number the snowflakes in a Minnesota winter than you'll number the millions of silvery-winged messengers who come and gather on the great day. And on the great day, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be seated upon the throne. This is the coronation. This is the proclamation. This is the moment in which every person will do as Scripture says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some for the first time out of sadness, for they will be taken away. Some for the millionth time out of gladness, because what they confessed on earth, they now confess in heaven. What a moment that will be. 
as we all bow down like wind blown in a Kansas wheat field before the King of Kings. And it will not matter if you're standing next to the most famous person that the world has ever seen. You may be standing next to Napoleon or next to the winner of American Idol. You will not care. The only person to command anyone's attention will be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he will be crowned as King. And then, according to this story that Jesus tells, he will do the most unusual of things. He, the shepherd of humanity, will separate his flock into two groups. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. I'm not a shepherd, but I've been told that shepherds still do this. That they do not like the flock to have both sheep and goats when they're bedded down for the night. And so before they're put into the pasture to sleep, or put into the corral to sleep, that the shepherd will come and he'll separate the sheep from the goats with just a nudge of the staff. That's all it takes. And so we envision the great shepherd of our souls and the great convening of all souls walking amidst his flock with his staff gently nudging one person at a time. Maria, over here. Max, this way. John, over here. Giuseppe, over here. Ronaldo, this way. Working his way through every person who's ever born and he who knows every heart separating the sheep from the goats. We cannot envision such a moment without asking the question, what makes the distinction? What, what defines the sheep? What defines the goat? Anticipating our question, Jesus says to those on the right, he will say, come blessed of my Father. Come inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the beginning of the ages. Prepared for you. The kingdom is prepared for people, not prepared for angels. Prepared for people. Come, prepare, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of the ages. And then he goes down that list. He says, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was needy, I was in prison, I was naked. And you know what you did? You came and you gave me something to eat. You gave me clothing to wear. You came and you visited me. You remembered me. And those on the right, those sheep, they will look at him in amazement. And they will say, no, when did that happen? When? And what will he say? He will say, whenever you did this to the least of these, my brethren, what a beautiful phrase. It's as if he's extending his arms around all the forsaken, the forgotten, and the needy, and the hungry of the world. Calling them my brethren. Whatever you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did that for me. And he will go up to you and he will say something like, that Saturday afternoon, you took your day off and you went down to the Bear County Detention Center and you spent all day just talking to the people in jail that was me looking at you through the bars that 
time you learned that your neighbor had lost his job and you just left a sack of groceries on the front door he never knew who did it I knew that was me you cared for that evening on the way home from work you felt me tug you into the hospital not even knowing who to visit and you walked up to the nurses station and said is there anybody here who hasn't had a visit in a few days and that was me you called on when you heard about that youngster who wanted more than anything to go to camp and his parents couldn't afford to send him and you made sure he went when you took time to understand the plight of the undocumented immigrant when you took time to learn the name of the homeless drifter when you took time whatever you did for them you did for me and I want you to know I thank you whenever you volunteered at the Christian Hope Resource Center or stood behind the efforts of the Carver Academy or the Hill Country Daily Bread or the haven for hope whenever you made sure that children who were hungry had food whatever you did for them you did for me the ultimate attaboy the ultimate attaboy when Jesus himself places pierced hand on your shoulder and says you may have forgotten about it but I remember way to go Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. What a moment that will be, won't it? What a moment that will be. You're the most compassionate people I've ever met. The Oak Hills Church, I believe, sets the standard when it comes to passion and compassion. You give generously, you love completely. And 99% of what you do is not defined by a church calendar or church strategy. You just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so part of what, what I want to do is just say, keep it up. Let's don't look back. Let's don't get discouraged. Let's just keep loving the people God loves and trust that in His sovereign plan, He's taking us to the right people in the right way. As a church, we've entered into a relationship with the largest humanitarian relief organization in the world and I only say that because that means they're very experienced world vision world vision has really learned and developed the power and skill of child sponsorship and when a person sponsors a child with world vision what you are doing for $35 a month is guaranteeing that that child will have access to clean water and sanitation nutrition education vaccinations and then increasing the possibility of microfinance opportunities coming to the village where that child lives I really believe in child sponsorship but rather than talk to you about it I'd like to show you a picture of it last year my wife and I and others traveled to Ethiopia so we could see firsthand the work of child sponsorship with World Vision 
Turn your attention to the screen. Here's what we discovered. I decided to, to be a sponsor. I, you know, it was almost a no-brainer. I mean, to think that the amount of money that, that I spend on fast food in a week can literally change a, a person's life, it, it seemed like an easy decision to me. Mimi, that's a beautiful name. Well, it's just great to be able to touch a child that you're, you know, that you're going to get to sponsor. Yeah. I want you to look into the faces of these beautiful children and, and this wonderful family. They deserve everything that we have. They deserve every opportunity to thrive physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, some people make the mistake and they think, since I can't fix everything, I won't do anything. But everybody can do something. Everybody can help a Mimi. There's not a person in the United States, there's not a person in the developed world who cannot help somebody like this. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> do not make the mistake of thinking, since I can't do everything, I won't do anything. That, that's the big mistake. You can do something. And in God's plan, when all of us do something, then something wonderful starts to happen. They're beautiful children, aren't they? I really believe in child sponsorship. So much so that I have promised World Vision that I would help them find sponsors for 25,000 children. 25,000 children. That's a lot. And so I'm starting with you. <laughs> During the month of October, actually toward the end of September, throughout October, I'm going to be traveling all over the country, issuing this appeal to different cities, about 20 different cities. Traveling with me will be our friend Michael W. Smith, a singing group Third Day and a singer by the name of Toby Mack. And it's our prayer to fill arenas with worship but then also fill these children's lives with hope as we issue to them the same appeal I'm issuing to you. And that is let's make a difference. Let's make a difference. These are devastating days in which we live. 1.75 billion people right now live on less than a dollar a day. One billion people right now are hungry. 27,000 people will die today of preventable diseases. These are overwhelming numbers, I know. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. You see, we live in the most affluent generation of Christians in the history of the church. We've never been more educated than we are. We've never had more capacity than we have. We have medical research at the tip of our fingers that we didn't have a hundred years ago. We're able to travel around the globe in a day and send an email in an instant. We have the capacity to make a difference, to literally reroute the course of human suffering. And I'm praying that our generation will accept that challenge. And I'd like for you to accept it as well. We can't do everything. But everybody can do something. The reason that I believe so much in child sponsorship is because it is an entry level into compassion for every person. 
Because when a person sponsors a child through world vision, they can help that one child, the, the life of that one child. We have on our campuses today, all five campuses, we have uh, tables set up by world vision. And on this campus, on the Crown Ridge campus, we actually have some people from world vision's headquarters in Washington, the state of Washington, who have traveled here to be with us. And I would pray that today you might just stop by on your way out and look at the pictures of these children. You'd take note of that handout, that insert that's in your handout. And even think and pray today about making a commitment to sponsor a child. If you make a commitment today and fill this out, make sure and check the box on the back that says, yes, let the people at Oak Hills know I'm sponsoring a child. Because as a church, we have said we'd like to sponsor children in Haiti and or El Salvador. The reason being, we can travel there faster and more of our members can go someday in the future. That's why we want to know who is sponsoring children. And also, we already have missionary presence in Haiti and El Salvador. So we already have uh, boots on the ground in those two countries. But maybe you need time to think and pray about this. Absolutely, you take all the time you need. And when you're ready, go to the Oak Hills Church website and just click on outlive your life and that'll take you directly to the uh, web link with world vision through which you can sign up and that sign up will be an Oak Hill sign up and it'll be one of the 25,000 that I'm looking for and I would really really appreciate that and don't think for a second that these deeds though they may seem small they're not small did you notice what Jesus said he didn't say I was sick and you built me a hospital. He didn't say I was hungry and you built me a food kitchen. He said I was sick and you treated me, you healed me, you ministered to me. I, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Small deeds in the hand of a big God become a big deal, don't they? A few years ago I had the opportunity to hear a lady speak who really understood this. 1979 in Miami, Florida. I was living not far from a Catholic church. A neighbor told me that the Catholic church was hosting a midday message in the middle of the week. Told me who was speaking. I said, oh, I want to come. I arrived an hour early at the chapel because I wanted to make sure I had a good seat. Turns out I should have arrived three or four hours earlier. And even then, I don't know if I would have had a good seat. The place was packed. Every place and every pew was occupied. People were standing in the aisles. Some were sitting on the window sills. I don't know if the little chapel didn't have air conditioning or if it was broken. But the windows were open and the air was stuffy and the people were getting restless the longer they sat there. But when she walked in, the crowd grew quiet. There was no music, no lengthy introduction. Just the priest, her, and three younger versions of herself. The priest gave a short introduction and he made a joke about needing to stack, place a milk carton behind the lectern so she could stand on it so we could see her. Well, it turns out it wasn't a joke. He took a milk carton and he placed it behind the lectern. 
And she stepped up on it and looked out at us. I will never forget those blue eyes. Steely blue eyes. That chiseled face. Those lips as if drawn with a pencil they were so thin. Her nose was larger than most women would have preferred. Face utterly naked of any pretense. She wore the traditional sari that represented the charity mission that she had established in 1949. Who could forget the face of Mother Teresa? Give me your unborn children, she said. To this day, I do not know if that was her first sentence or the sentence that I remember the most. But I will never forget her looking out over that great crowd, this wisp of a woman defying us, 69 years of age, shaking her finger at us. Give me your unborn children. Do not abort them. I will raise them. Who would have ever pegged this slight Albanian lady as the face of compassion for our generation? Born in the midst of Balkan strife, shy, introverted as a child, of frail health, the daughter of a kind but unremarkable businessman. And yet somewhere along the line she became convinced that Jesus, to use her favorite line, had taken on the distressing disguise of the poor. And if you want to see Jesus, you see the poor. And she did just that. Ten years later in one of her few interviews with Time Magazine, she said that her ministry had provided care and compassion for over 54,000 street people of Calcutta. And under her care, 23,000 had died in dignity rather than on the streets. Do you ever think that God gives a generation someone like Mother Teresa so the rest of us won't have any more excuses? So the rest of us won't have any more excuses. So the minute we say, well, there's nothing I can do, he points to her. says, look what I can do. Through a simple yet powerful advocate for the poor. There are a billion reasons for us to take on this challenge. Some of those reasons are sleeping in cardboard shanties in Brazil. Others are selling their bodies on the streets of Cambodia. Some of the poor people in the world are poor because they made bad decisions. Most of the people who are poor in the world are poor because they were born in the wrong latitude. There are a billion reasons to help them. But I just want you to leave today with the one reason that matters the most. And that is when we love them, we're really loving him. That Jesus says the kind of worship I love the most is when you love the least. And someday he'll thank you.
Someday when we're all gathered in the great assembly in the sky, he will place his pierced hand on your shoulder and he will say thank you. And when he does, I'm going to be looking for you. I am, I promise. I'm going to be looking for you. And, and as you're looking into his face, you just catch a glance of my face looking at you. That'll be me giving you the thumbs up. And I'll say, I told you so. Wasn't it worth it? We're going to dedicate our prayer time today to praying for the poor. I'd like to invite you to stand with me and we'll offer this prayer. Almighty God, our King, our Father in heaven, for some reason this morning you allowed us to drink clean water when we turned on our tap. You allowed us to have a pantry that had plenty of food, a refrigerator that has food. Why, there have been times in which we've looked in our refrigerator and had so much food we've not known what to pick. Most of us slept with air conditioning last night. We'll sleep with heat this winter. Most of us were able to climb into a car. Some of us could choose between two cars or maybe even three. You have been so abundant with us. So abundant. And we're sorry that even though you've been abundant, there have been times we've complained. We don't want to do that anymore. We'd like to be like you, Jesus. Very generous and soft-hearted. My prayer for this church, Father, is not that we become guilt-ridden givers. I, I think we have enough guilt in life. My prayer is that you'd help us to be grateful. Just grateful, happy people. Who give out of the abundance of what we've been given. Because you've told us that you like cheerful givers. Not begrudging givers, but just cheerful givers. So we ultimately lay this challenge at your feet because only you can truly stir our hearts. And may we be obedient as you stir us. But we do pray for the poor, Father. We really do. And we pray that we could be your hands and feet, if that be your will. Through Jesus we pray. And all the church said...